welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so grateful you're joining me today as we continue on in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Today's episode is 99, and it's titled, Blessed Are the Pure in Heart, and we are working through Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. <clears throat> I know that you probably already noticed, but I'm going through this series a bit slower, so you have time to listen, and I have time to prepare, and honestly, It's probably more about me having time to prepare, so I really do pray for your patience as it seems my schedule seems to be um, able to handle just preparing one lesson a month that may change in the future, but for now, that's sort of where I'm at. So I so love you if you don't already to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and that way you won't miss an episode when it comes out. It just shows up in your player ready for whenever you're ready for it. This has been such a good study for me in God's Word, and I hope if you're enjoying it that you're getting some time to study these scriptures on your own too and dig a little deeper. If you're here for the first time or you missed some of the series, I will link to them all in the main show notes at the blog. It's at thankfulhomemaker.com, but you can also find them in my blog under the Christian Living tab in my menu if you hover over that. A menu drops down from that, and you'll see the Sermon on the Mount series, and they they are all linked there. So let me do a quick review before we move on to this next beatitude today. We're working through the Sermon on the Mount in this series, which is we're working through Matthew chapters 5 through 7. We started this series in episode 86, which was the introduction, and we covered Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, which read, seeing the crowds, that would be he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... So Jesus sat down to teach his disciples, and in the first four Beatitudes or blessings we work through together, we learned that there was purpose in their order, because as we realize we are poor in spirit, or as we defined it as being spiritually bankrupt before the Lord, it causes us to mourn over our sin. This causes us to have an attitude of humility or meekness, and it brings about in us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. The first four Beatitudes we work through together related to our relationship with God. And in the previous episode, in episode 92, Blessed Are the Merciful, we saw how now they are shifting to our relationship with others. Because of the Lord's mercy to me, I can now show mercy to others. The Beatitudes are not a pick-and-choose option. If you are in Christ, if you are born again, each one of these graces will be evident in your life. In the words of our doctor, of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, this is how the Christian is meant to live. So today we're on the sixth Beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, which reads, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I came across a story in my study time for today's episode, and I want to share it with you to get us started here. R. Kent Hughes shared this in his commentary that he has on the Sermon on the Mount. 
And this story was just really impactful to me. And it painted a picture that I want to paint for us as we dig into this text today. And we're going to come back to it at the end. So in 1982, the Los Angeles Times shared a story about a 62-year-old woman named Anna Mae Penica, who had been blind since birth. When she was 47, she married a man that she met in her Braille class, and for the first 15 years of their marriage, he did the scene for them until he completely lost his vision too. Mrs. Penica had never seen the green of spring or the blue of a winter sky, but she was not resentful about her condition and had a cheerful spirit. In October of 1981, a doctor at the Jules Stein Eye Institute of the University of California performed surgery to remove the rare congenital cataracts from the lens of Mrs. Penica's left eye, and she saw for the first time ever. The newspaper didn't record her initial response, but said she said everything was bigger and brighter than she imagined. She was able to see her husband for the first time, and she shared that acquaintances that she envisioned were now shorter or heavier or skinnier than she had pictured them. The article shared how Mrs. Penica can hardly wait to wake up each morning and put on her glasses and enjoy the changing morning light. Her vision is 20-30, which is almost enough to pass a driver's test. Ponder what it must have been like for Anna Mae Penica when she looked for the first time at the faces that she had only felt or when she saw the kaleidoscope of a Pacific sunset or a tree waving its branches or a bird in flight. The gift of physical sight, it's wonderful, and the miracle of seeing for the first time can hardly be described. Yet, we are talking today about a scene that surpasses that of even someone being blind and seen for the first time. We are going to see God. I don't know about you, but I can't even imagine what that will be like. The joy will be unimaginable as we leave this world when God calls us home and we see Christ face to face. Our sixth beatitude is about seeing God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're going to learn today how to get 2020 spiritual vision. In episode 87, titled The Riches of Poverty, we work through the meaning of the word blessed, and I just want to give us a quick overview again. Blessed is from the Greek word makarios, and it means to be happy. And in fact, this beatitude can also can be translated, happy are those who are pure in heart. So it means to be happy, but not in the usual way based on circumstances. Biblically, it's describing one who's free from daily cares and worries because they know every moment of their lives is designed by their Lord and they live every moment trusting he is sovereign over all and they are in the hands of their maker. It's describing a kind of happiness that comes from being in a right relationship with God. It is an inward contentment not based on outward circumstances. Think here, the pure in heart. Jesus didn't begin here with, blessed are those who are pure in speech, or blessed are those who are pure in their actions. But he said, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones paraphrases this verse like this, blessed are those who are pure, not only on the surface, but in the center of their being and at the source of every activity. Our word here for pure in the Greek is katharos, and it means 
literally physically clean or pure. It has the idea of unsoiled, free from dirt. Think here spotless, free from impurities, like a pure metal, unmixed, undiluted. And Jesus is using the term here in a moral or spiritual sense. And katharos means to be free from corrupt desire or wrongdoing and to be pure in God's eyes. The term has more to do with singleness of heart and mind. And the literal meaning is unmixed. So it's undiluted, undivided. Think here, pure gold. Pure gold is undiluted. There are no other elements in it. So when we hear the word, blessed are the pure in heart, our Lord is saying, blessed are those who do not have divided hearts. They do not have double hearts. They have singleness of heart. Jeremiah 32 verse 39 says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. And Ezekiel 36, 26, one we're all familiar with, says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So when God calls us as his children, he not only washes away our sin, but he puts within us a new heart that's to be undivided and holy in devotion to him. So as we look at our lives, we need to ask ourselves, is my heart undivided? Do I have unmixed motives? Does my heart belong entirely to the Lord? Do I live as a hypocrite? Am I pretending to be something I'm not? Is my Christianity superficial? Is my Christianity just a matter of convenience where I'm just seemingly faithful if all is well, but when things are difficult, then I'm going to choose the path of less resistance? See, friend, if we love the world and the things of the world, then we're going to find our loyalties divided. We're going to find ourselves living as hypocrites, and we most likely will be externally showing something on the outside that doesn't match with what is going on on the inside of our hearts. James 4, 8 tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This verse in James is reiterating the same truth. We're to be single-focused, not double-minded, not divided in our devotion. Psalm 24 verses 3 and 4 say, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So who is going who is going to be accepted into the presence of God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart they will receive blessing from the Lord. So as we begin here to dig into purity, we can summarize it as one whose heart belongs entirely to the Lord with undivided loyalty. But there is more to our defining purity because our word in the Greek, katharos, also means, again, clean, pure, or unsoiled. It's requiring purity at the very center of our being. J.C. Ryle said, he means those who do not aim merely at outward correctness, but at inward holiness. So this quote from J.C. Ryle reminds me of Jesus's words to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you uncleanness, so you also appear outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
So a hypocrite appears to be one thing, but really is another. The dictionary defines it as a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion, or a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. There are some hard words here from Jesus to the Pharisees, and he always seemed to give his hardest words to the religious elite of his day. The whitewashed tombs that Jesus is referring to, they're really painted nice on the outside. They're all beautiful looking on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead people's bones. If you touched a dead body, you were unclean, you were impure. So Jesus is basically calling the Pharisees a walking defilement. Jesus is concerned with our hearts and not what we see with our eyes. 1 Samuel 16, 7 tells us, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It must originate in our hearts. The Pharisees put all the attention on the outside. Their motto seemed to be that the only thing that mattered is what you did and not who you are. One commentator stated this verse is, Blessed are those who are outwardly clean. The whole focus was on ritual and external purity and appearance. We can criticize the Pharisees of Jesus' time, but Phariseeism is alive and well today. There are legalists all around us, and legalism is in our own hearts. We can still get caught up in the mindset that God just wants us to do certain things to please Him, and this makes me clean and pure. We can go about doing all kinds of, quote, religious activity, while inwardly our hearts are deceitfully wicked. See, if we're putting all our attention on our activity and not on our purity of heart, we will be double-minded, divided. We need first to clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. That's from Matthew 23, 26. And always I'm spouting verses up, but they will be in the main show notes at the blog over at thankfulhomemaker.com, and I'll link to that below in the show notes. So our hearts are revealed in what we think, say, and do. Jesus is interested in an inward cleansing of the heart. Matthew 9, 4 states, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? And let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 to 37. These were some good verses to work through. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned." Out of the heart comes everything. What comes from within is what defiles a person. We can put up a facade for so long, but our heart breaks through, and it eventually shows to the world who we really are. Jesus didn't say in this beatitude, blessed are the pure, and end it there. But he said, blessed are the pure in heart. It's a concern with internal purity and external show, not either or or, but both. Heart in the Greek is cardia, it's spelled K-A-R-D-I-A, and it's used figuratively most often in scripture, and it refers to the center of each person's thoughts, kind of our mind, think there, and our will. 
The heart usually is more generally referring to the inner person, the center of life, the volitional center of our being. So the heart is the seat and the kind of the quote master control center there of human life. It's the center of your personality. It's the real you who makes the decisions of your life. Thus to be pure in heart is to be pure in the center of your life. John MacArthur stated on the use of heart in this particular text here in our Matthew 5, 8, he said, while we often relate heart to the emotions, an example there was like, he has a broken heart. The Bible relates it primarily to the intellect. And the example he gave her was from Matthew 15, 19, where it says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. And in Proverbs 4.23, he reminds us, that's why you must watch over your heart with all diligence. In a secondary way, he continues, however, heart relates to the will and emotions because they are influenced by the intellect. If you are committed to do something, it will affect your will, which in turn will affect your emotions. End quote there. Jesus is primarily interested in your heart. He came to transform your heart and my heart, and he calls us to be pure in heart, to have hearts purely devoted to him and not mixed with the world and deluded by sin. If you change the heart, the rest of the body will follow. Jesus didn't say the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your religious activity, but it was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So let's examine our hearts here for a moment. Do you compartmentalize your life? Do you act one way in public and another way at home with your family or when you're alone? What about things like your internet usage, your speech, your thought life? Are you harboring bitterness or anger towards another? Do you have a critical or a prideful spirit? God died for every bit of our hearts, not just part of our hearts. He calls us to pursue holiness without exception. Every dark corner of our hearts needs to be brought out into the light. Purity of heart starts on the inside and it moves its way to the outside into how we live our lives. What is on the inside will reveal itself on the outside. What would others say of our Christian walk? What would our family say, our co-workers, our neighbors? God's word calls us in 1 Peter 1.16 to be holy as God is holy, more than what others think or say about us. What would God say about us? He's the only one that matters. We need to live to please an audience of one, capital O there. I haven't even touched the surface of all that it truly means to be pure in heart and what it looks like. And if you're like me, you're probably saying to yourself, Marcy, um, this beatitude is beyond our reach. How can we ever accomplish this? Jesus is talking about perfection here. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus, he even tells us, you must therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Not one of us is perfect at purity in heart. Our only hope is the gospel. It is only by the grace of God that we can have changed hearts that desire to seek and pursue purity of heart. In this life, friend, we will never reach perfection, but God's spirit at work in our lives will continue to implant and grow the characteristics of the kingdom in our hearts. If you're not seeing the characteristics of the kingdom evident in your life, if you're not recognizing your poor in spirit and mourning over your sin and desiring a life that is humble and gentle before the Lord and hungering and thirsting after righteousness, a life that shows mercy to others because you've been shown much mercy, if you're not desiring to have purity of heart, then I plead with you 
to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. I've already stated, even in Christ, we're not going to live this out perfectly, but there will be a progression of growth that will be evident in our lives. We should desire to pursue purity in our lives. 1 Timothy 1.5 tells us to love from a pure heart. In 2 Timothy 1.3, we are to serve God with a clear conscience. In 2 Timothy 2.22, it tells us we are to flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Who is to do those things? The verse there says, we are. As believers, we are to care about purity. We are to pursue holiness. We should be praying for it, seeking it, and continuing to pursue it until the Lord calls us home and we see him face to face. Then we will not be dealing anymore with the flesh. God made us holy and pure through Jesus, and he calls us to become holy and pure. One day, either on the day of our death or when the Lord returns, we will no longer have to worry about our motives. Our speech will be pure, our thought life, our responses to others. Someday we will be holy and pure and our battle with the flesh will be done when we are finally home with the Lord and we see him face to face. If you know that you have not received the free gift of salvation by repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, I only ask you, what are you waiting for? Do you want to see God? Then you must receive Jesus as your Savior, fully accepting his death as a sufficient sacrifice for your sins and fully trusting him alone as your Savior. Becoming a Christian is all about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith is what makes a person a Christian. If you, my friend, are here and you're listening to me and you're not understanding what I'm talking about, what that means, if you have any question about your salvation or what it means to become a Christian, please message me directly here at the blog. You can click on that envelope image. It's at the, the top of my blog in the right-hand corner. There's a little envelope and that will message me directly. It will shoot me an email. So please do that. Our Kent Hughes said it best here. God demands a humanly impossible character and then gives us that character by his grace. Let me read that again. I'm going to put that in the show notes though too. God, I'm probably going to make a photo quote of that one. God demands a humanly impossible character and then gives us that character by his grace. And because of that gift of grace, friend, we move on in the verse to the most amazing part. They shall see God. The word For see here means to gaze with wide open eyes. How can we see God? 1 John 4.12 tells us no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And John 1.18 tells us no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. God is seen through the person of Jesus Christ. We see God now through his word. It's living and active. We see God through his beautiful creation. We see the Lord through various moments of our lives. We see the Lord through the difficulties of our lives. Job 42.5 states, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. We will not see God face to face until we reach glory. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 share, Dear friends, now we are children of God, 
and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it best. This is an excellent quote. I'm going to put it in the show notes because you're going to want to copy this one and put it somewhere. So don't panic and feel you have to write this down. Just take a moment, just listen, close your eyes, pause and stop whatever you're doing and take in the doctor's words here. If we grasp this, it would revolutionize our lives. You and I are meant for the audience chamber of God. You and I are being prepared to enter into the presence of the King of Kings. Do you believe it? Do you know it is true of you? Do you realize that a day is coming when you are going to see the blessed God face to face? Not as in a glass darkly, but face to face? Surely, the moment we grasp this, everything else pales into insignificance. You and I are going to enjoy God and to spend our eternity in His glorious and eternal presence. He continues, Do you realize you are being prepared for this? And do you set your affection on it? Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Are you looking at these things which are unseen and eternal? Do you spend time in meditating upon the glory that yet awaits you? If you do, the greatest concern of your life will be to have a pure heart. End quote there. Let me repeat that last sentence. If we are doing this, if we are setting our affections on the things above, looking to the things which are unseen and eternal, meditating upon the glory that awaits us, then the greatest concern of our lives will be to have a pure heart. My dear friend, our lives are about getting ready for eternity. We get caught up in the things of this world and we lose our focus. And I am so guilty here with you. We're to stand in the presence of a holy, majestic God. Our time on this earth is getting us ready for that one moment in eternity when all sin will be removed and we will see him as he is face to face. We started our time with the story of Mrs. Penica and her sight. She was given her physical sight back because of, surgi- of a surgical technique that corrected her problem. But let me read these words from R. Kent Hughes. Listen carefully to this. The technique for curing spiritual blindness has existed for two millennia. This procedure is radical and 100% effective because God is the physician. You must be born again. To be pure in heart, you must be given a new heart. End quote. If you've been given a new heart, you're going to desire to grow and mature in purity of heart and sharpen your vision for God. So how can we practically do this? I'm going to do a little bit of paraphrasing here from R. Kent Hughes' commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He had some good points, and I've kind of mixed some of my own thoughts in here with it. So let's work through this, what this looks like practically. First, we need to be absolutely honest with God about our heart's condition. It needs to start here. God already knows. Just be honest. Think about things. Consider your thoughts, your actions, your words. Are they pure? Is your heart pure and its focus on God? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the state of your heart. Next, acknowledge that only God can make your heart pure. It doesn't mean that we don't have a part in it. It's not that unbiblical thinking that you hear of let go, let God. I need you to listen if you've not yet or go back and give it a re-listen to episode 84 on sanctification, growing, and holiness. 
I, when I think of that episode, Philippians, the verses in Philippians chapter 2, 12 to 13 come to mind. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or James 4, 8 is another one. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded." So here's the biblical balance here, friend. We must do everything we can and realize it's not enough. Only God can make our hearts pure. We are now able to please him, though. We are now able to yield him and to allow him to make us increasingly pure. And as we do, we will more and more come to see him as he fills our being and makes himself known to us. Third, the way to do this, fill your mind with God's word. God's word is purifying. Listen, my friend, if you're not spending time daily in the word and you need a little boost, a little motivation, take a watch or a listen. It's on my YouTube channel too. It's developing a daily Bible reading habit, but it's also on the podcast here. It's episode 95. And then I also have episode 15, prioritizing God's word when life is busy. Or work through the series on the podcast of the spiritual disciplines if you need some help. I'll link to them all in the main show notes in the blog. Fourth, think, this is going to sound odd when I say it, but listen, think not just on eternal things. This is a good thing, but think about what you will be in eternity. Think on the hope set before us. I just want to read these verses one more time. I wrote them, read them a moment ago, but they're worth repeating. It's 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be, has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We are going to be transformed into the image of Christ. We shall be like him. And let me close with the words from the doctor today. He said, all I have tried to say can be put like this. You are going to see God. Do you not agree that this is the biggest, the most momentous, the most tremendous thing that you can ever be told? Is it your supreme object, desire, and ambition to see God? If it is, and if you believe this gospel, you must agree with John. Every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. The time is short. You and I have not long to prepare. The great reception is at hand. In a sense, The ceremonial is all prepared. You and I are waiting for the audience with the king. Are you looking forward to it? Are you preparing yourself for it? He is working in us and preparing us for that. But let us also work and purify ourselves even as he is pure. End quote there. My friend, Jesus truly is enough always. I'm so thankful for your time today, my friend. You can find the full show notes at the blog at thankfulhomemaker.com. If you're enjoying this series or the podcast in general, please take a moment and leave a rating or review over on iTunes or wherever you listen in. And my resource this week to share with you is an interview I did with um, Lauren over at Tulips and Honey, and it was just a delight. It's on YouTube, and we talked about myself on her podcast too. We talked about my testimony, how my blog started, some fun questions like, "Mm, should men listen to my podcast or do I like pineapple on my pizza and so much more. We laughed a lot. She was just a delight. I so enjoyed Lauren. I was very nervous. Video is not my favorite thing. My YouTube channel is a challenge for me. 
and we zoom we zoomed our chat and that's how she records it so we had a little chat time together before we started Lauren put my mind at ease and we just had a delightful discussion between two sisters two sisters in the faith I love that if you don't follow her channel over on YouTube or her podcast subscribe to you should I think you'd really be blessed by it I have learned so much from Lauren she interviews some just amazing people um, who are just there to deepen your walk with the Lord make you aware of false teaching, so many other good, solid topics she covers. So I will link to the video in the show notes and I will, um, that way you can find her too through that. So I'm so grateful for you, my friend. I'm so thankful for your time today. And I do pray you have a very blessed week. Mm -hmm.